There we go. Morning, guys. Morning. There we go. Uh, I'm just going to open us up with a quick word of prayer, if that's okay. Uh, Father, I just want to thank you so much that we get to be here this morning. We get to come and uh, spend time in your word. Um, and I just pray for everyone here and all of our friends and family that are not here right now that uh, you just be with us this Sunday morning. So um, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your love and your name. Amen. Oh, morning, guys. How's it going? Good. I know. We're, we're small and mighty today. We have people on, like, vacation, people on honeymoons, other places. I don't know. Um, so I'm assuming those two things. Um, but uh, so I am here doing a standalone message. Uh, we were going over the fruit of the Spirit the last few uh, weeks or months. It's been a little while now. Uh, and we're going to be moving into a new season uh, for our church in terms of teaching and just what we're focusing on. So uh, this is like a, a one-time message. So if it doesn't apply, fine. Just come back next week. There'll be something brand new. Um, but I am really excited because at first when I was like praying through this and wondering like what I was going to share about, I had nothing, like just no thoughts, no anything. Um, and then at one point I was like, maybe I can just read this article I'm reading out loud in front of everyone for like an hour because it's really good. Um, instead, I'm just going to reference it. Uh, I'm not just going to sit and read C.S. Lewis out to loud view for 45 minutes or 20 minutes, which may be the length of this. We'll see. Um, but a few months ago, I taught on abundant life. Um, that was a series we were in. And so my focus was abundant faith, um, which was a really actually vulnerable topic for me because I taught on anxiety, which is just something I've always struggled with. And, um, just kind of the way that God's moved in my life with that and just wanting to share and encourage everyone. Um, but one of the things that I was thinking about with that message and what I was sharing on that has to do specifically with faith as a response to fear and anxiety, faith being kind of a posture we ad- adopt, which is the, the point that I landed on was really that faith is not necessarily a means to an end, but an end in and of itself. Um, and that when we hold the posture of faith, it helps sustain us through difficult times and trials. Um, and so what I was thinking about that was that there are seasons in life where, like, that's my extent. The furthest I can go is be like, I'm sorry, God, all I have right now is to say, I believe in you, help my unbelief, that's all I've got. And that's, that's the most it feels like I can offer. Um, it's like adopting a posture of resignation, which I don't think is bad. I think there's plenty of seasons in life where, like, that's as far as we can go is just be like, this is what I got, God. I'm having a hard time. I, I think I trust you. That's it. Which is a posture I want to always fall back into when I'm in those hard seasons. Um, But praying for today, my thought was like, okay, but like, what's more? I want more than that. You know, there's times in life where I do, I adopt that resignation and I say, I'm going to trust God today that it's going to be okay. But there's times where I want to lean into something bigger and more exciting and honestly just more fun and more joyful. Um, And that actually brought me back to a message that I used to teach a lot when I was in YWAM. Um, So I'm, The message today is called Living in the Overflow. This is a message I taught many times for a few years. For those of you who don't know, I lived in London for three years with a program called Youth with a Mission. I was in the leadership team there. And I, my specialty was like youth and kids ministries, not too surprising. And then evangelism. I actually taught that. Um, And there's a lot I could say about that. And I'm more than happy anytime anyone wants to talk about what evangelism is, because there's a lot of opinions about it on every side. And it's a, it's actually a really interesting discussion, I think. And I, um, I love teaching it, but the heart of my message was this living in the overflow. Also, Amir's not here, but can we give a shout out to Amir for making this? The guy ditched us. He's missing out. Um, so lame. Um, okay. 
So just to give a quick summary of what, uh, this was when I was like 20 to 23. Um, so, you know, living in a different country, living with a bunch of 20 to 23 year olds. I think our oldest person at one point in our team was like 27. So, you know, we really knew what life was. Um, and out there serving, doing missions and ministry um, in London, the, so what I primarily taught them was evangelism. And what, looking back now, I can recognize that like, we'll say like 21 year old Amy was really excited um, about God and about faith and really passionate and did not really know how to feel okay about my faith without doing something intense about it. It was like, I believed in God and I loved God and I had to prove it. So I was going to go and live in Spain for a month and, you know, preach in churches and attempt to translate, which was really (laughs) terrible and fun. Um, And I was going to like go and do street evangelism and pray for people and just all these sorts of things. I was very, very active. There was for three years, I never had the same bed for more than three months because I moved around so much. Um, And it was exciting and it was fun. And it was a way of trying to justify and make myself close to God as opposed to a result of already being there. I was a Christian. I, 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 there's no question of that. I really did. I loved God. I was excited about God. I was passionate. I was young. But at the same time, like my actions were a trying to get to a certain place in my relationship with God. It wasn't coming out of a natural place I already was with God. I wanted to try and prove that I love God and I'm going to do something. And also by doing something, I'll get closer. This is not speaking poorly against uh, that kind of lifestyle at all. And again, that's another thing where it's like, if you ever wanted to talk about it and ask more about like what that looks like, because there is a lot of opinions about full-time missions and things like that as well. And um, I'm really grateful for my experience there. I loved it. I learned a lot. But now I can recognize that the 21-year-old Amy was like really afraid of an office job because I assumed I'd stop following God. Like people who work in an office can't love Jesus, right? <laughs> I know you all believe that. <laughs> People who, like, get up on Monday morning and have a 40-hour work week and then end on Friday and then take Saturday off and go to church on Sunday, they can't love God, right? Yeah, 21-year-old Amy was like, yeah, you can't. Like, that's clearly you don't love Jesus if you're not doing something more extreme. You have to be really living it out. You got to be risking your life. You should be, you know, like, Peter died on a cross because he loved Jesus. So will I. I wasn't that that bad, but I I had my moments. My parents are here. They will attest to this. (laughs) My parents have had a lot of grace with me in that stage of my life, and I'm very grateful they're here today. So if you want more fun stories about Amy being a little extreme, you can ask them. We're glad they're here to attest to that one. Um, but I was so afraid of living this unextreme lifestyle because I assumed that this would be, like, a terrible thing. This would I would just stop following God. It just meant I wasn't a Christian. Um, and so... This last week, when I was thinking through that and remembering, because that's the message I taught on, this living in the overflow, was a part, it was like compartmentalized in my message of evangelism, which was, if you love God and you know God loves you, it will naturally flow out of what you do into your, your actions, your life, your words. And I stand behind that 100%, but my understanding has shifted so strongly. Um, because then, my pursuit was the action, hoping to get to the place of loving God and recognizing God loves me. Whereas now I've seen that I need to shift my perspective to my pursuit is knowing that God loves me and loving God. And the natural outflow of that is going to be the living in the overflow, living in this place where that is becoming part of my words, part of my actions, part of my behavior. And I'm no longer driven by this, what really is a sense of kind of self-justification, which is against the entire message of Jesus. 
Whereas to live into gr live in grace and live in love is to recognize that we can't really do it. We're not really going to do a good job, but we love God so much. You just kind of have to anyways. You just got to try. And you know what? God's there and he's like, good, these little humans are trying so hard. God bless them. But like, you know, he's less condescending than that. But I really do think that there's sometimes where we're like trying really hard because we love God. And he's, you know, it's like when a kid draws you a picture, you put it on your fridge because it's so cute. They did such a good job. And it really means a lot to you. Sometimes I feel like that's actually what our actions kind of become in God's eyes. He's like, I love them so much, i got to stick this on my fridge. They did not stay inside the lines. Like, who, who, who expected them to, really? Okay, so to go back to where, in, in kind of like thinking through this message, uh, what I was reading, the article I was going to read to you guys, which, it's great. Like, it probably would be a better message if I just sat here and read it. It's The Weight of Glory by C.S. Lewis. It's, um, if you like go into the C.S. Lewis section of Barnes & Noble, there's a book called The Weight of Glory. The, that's not actually a whole book. There's a bunch of essays in there. It's the first essay. Read it. You can Google it, too. It's amazing. Um, so I was reading this because, um, well, just because I wanted to, because it's me. I like reading theology. Uh, <laughs> but one of the things I was reading, reading through this was he talks a lot about desire and the way our desires work. Um, and it's this beautiful description of our desire for the kingdom of God and of the glory of God. And the first half of the essay is this incredible build towards, like, this is what we're meant for. This is what we get to live in. And then he comes to this line, and the entire essay shifts. And the line is, meanwhile, the cross comes before the crown, and tomorrow is a Monday morning. So in other words, meanwhile, suffering comes before glory, and tomorrow is a Monday morning. Meanwhile, life comes before heaven, and tomorrow is a Monday. So, and I just hit that line and I was like, ugh, that's what I feel now. That's what I feel is we get this promise, this hope, this vision of what it means to live this life with God. All we, we talk about words of hope and joy and glory, but still tomorrow, first, there's still just the reality of life and I have to go to work tomorrow. I have to go to the doctor tomorrow. I have a play date with my kid and then another play date and then a doctor's appointment and then a soccer practice and it just builds and builds. I don't know how you guys do this. Um, but that's tomorrow. You know, I, there's so many things. We have to go to school tomorrow. That's the reality we live in. And I love that, that line, the meanwhile the cross comes before the crown and tomorrow is a Monday morning. So living in the overflow, living out of this excitement and passion because we're so filled with the presence of God, it seems distant and hard. And I love that C.S. Lewis recognizes that because that's something I feel all the time. We come here on Sunday. Or like, how many of you went to Christian camp when you were in high school? Okay, a few people. Yeah, good. So have you ever had that experience where you go to camp and you're like, I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to be the best Christian ever. I'm going to tell all my friends about Jesus. I'm going to transform my high school. I'm going to be great. And then you get back to school and you're like, I don't want these kids to know I went to camp. <laughs> I was homeschooled. That was not my reality. <laughs> I'm, I'm putting that on you guys. You can tell me if that's true or not. You can tell me the reality. But I think we all know we've had that like experience and then you're like, ooh, no. No, not there. Not there anymore. I know I, I, know I stood up in, in, like, Hume Lake, the hall, in front of, like, 300 people and declared my love for Jesus. And, like, I'm still on board. I still love Jesus. But, like, I don't want to talk about it. Um, isn't that our reality all the time? On Sunday mornings, you have these incredible experiences. And they, and they carry. They do. But it gets kind of lighter and lighter as it goes. Because the reality is life is hard. And there's just stuff to do. And we're busy. We have things going on all the time. So I want to talk about... I mean, just this idea of living in the overflow being is what we're focusing on right now is what we're filled with. 
Because what, what you're filled with is what's going to outpour into your life around you. I also have a lot of authority to talk on living in the overflow this week because I did. Uh, toilet clogged. And it was terrible. <laughs> it was a bad, it was a rough week. You guys have those weeks where it's like every little thing happens and you're like, I can't function anymore. That was this week for me. Um, it's a simple, it's a terrible image, and I'm so sorry I just put that all in your mind. But the reality is what you're filled with is what you live in, right? What you're filled with is what you live in. The toilet was filled, and I was living in something, and it was just not good. <laughs> so, and it was a lot of cleaning and a lot of work to recuperate. It's a gross image, but isn't it kind of an accurate image? What you're filled with is what you live in. And if you're filled with something really bad, it's going to come out into your life in really bad ways, and then you've got to deal with that mess or other people have to deal with it. So what does it actually mean to be filled? What does it mean to be filled with God, filled with the love of Christ? I want you guys to turn to Ephesians 3, 14 to 19. If you have your Bible or an app on your phone, it'll also be up here. But Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. It starts off with, for this reason, which if you guys read it through Ephesians, which I highly encourage this week, it's an amazing book. Um, like every paragraph starts with, for this reason, therefore, I therefore, for this, now, because. It, usually that means you're supposed to go back and read the paragraph before, so you kind of have to read through all of Ephesians to get any of Ephesians, because he keeps saying, therefore, therefore. Um, here he, the section really before this, he's talking about being one in Christ. So the context Paul is coming out of is that we as a church body are one in Christ. We are building the temple of which Christ dwells with us, which God dwells in with us. So that's the context. This context is already very community-based as a start. And he says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner, did I write? Nope, 14, my bad. For this reason, see, it's the same title. Like, it's, you can't blame me. <laughs> for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the height, breadth, and length, and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Guys, it's really simple. Being filled with the fullness of God is knowing Christ's love. It's understanding the length and width and height and depth of God's love. It's knowing Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. This is what it means to be filled with God. He just says it right there. So that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So the idea of living in the overflow is when we're living in a place where we're full of the knowledge that Christ loves us. This is really good news because you have to literally do nothing because you have Christ's love. You have this love already. He's given it to you. Now all we got to do is try and get our a little human minds around it, which granted is hard. But this is not a requirement of living a certain Christian life. This is the requirement of just wanting to understand how loved we are. And isn't that a great place to be? Those of you who have kids, don't you want your kid to just get how much you love them? Don't you want them to be like, I would do anything for you? I don't have kids. <laughs> I'm assuming so. Mom, dad, is that right? Cool, thank you. That's why you're here. Um, isn't that what you want? You just want your kids. And granted, like, they may not always get it, you know, and it's going to be a hard thing to grasp, and it's going to be hard for us to understand how much Christ loves us. But that really is kind of the start of all we're supposed to be as Christians, is trying to be like, 
Christ loves us, and we get to wrestle with that and try and understand it. So going back to this idea then of, of desire that C.S. Lewis is talking about in his essay, this, this what our, our desires point to, um, we're going to go ahead um, and pretend, let's say you're, you're hungry, which you might be right now. Is anyone hungry? Okay, cool. A few tacos, guys. I'm really, I am excited. This works great. Helen's on board. Um, I hope you guys like tacos with Gavilan. I love it. Thank you, Casey. Much appreciated. Um, so let's say you're hungry. Does the fact that you're hungry mean you're going to get food? No. Does the fact that you're hungry mean that your body requires food to keep working? Okay, cool. So really simple. A desire that you have does not mean that desire is going to get fulfilled. You can want something, doesn't mean it's going to happen. However, a desire that you have means that there's some connection to a possibility that it could be fulfilled. There's some root to that desire that has validity that's actually like possible. This is what C.S. Lewis argues in his essay. And this is also something that, like, this is not a biblical claim that I'm making. This is more of like a philosophical statement. And so if you disagree or have a different opinion, I'd love to talk about it because this is something that like, I'm still thinking through. And I think this is really interesting. But it's the idea that you have a desire. It's rooted in something very, very real. That actual desire. Maybe your desire is for pizza, not because you're hungry, just because you like pizza. Um, maybe that is the desire. But there's kind of a root down at the source of that desire. Maybe you're hungry for some food that doesn't really exist. Maybe you're pregnant and you're craving something that's not a real food. I don't know. Um, that, like, you're not supposed to eat. It doesn't mean, like, but that desire is still rooted in something very real, right? That desire comes out of your body requiring a nutrient. I keep looking at Keaton because you were pregnant recently. So there. there. Thanks, Keaton. Like, I'm like, is this right? Is this true? Is this how it works? Okay. I don't know. I thought, I've heard about weird cravings people have, so I'm like, but your body's craving a nutrient it needs, and if your body doesn't recognize, like, what actually has that nutrient, you might start craving weirder things, right? Like, or something that your body thinks has that. I heard about someone who wanted to lick metal hand poles once when they were pregnant. Like, the handrails. I know, I don't think that's normal, but I'm assuming her body needed, like, iron, or, like, some kind of, like, right? Okay. I'm, I'm stretching things here, guys. The idea of this is, that your desires have a root in reality. Your desires have a root of something you actually want and need. Things like loneliness, isolation, community. You want a puppy. You might just want that kind of friendship. You want, you want community. You want people. You want friends. Um, another desire that I find really common is just this desire to experience beauty. Like, you go on a really good hike and see a landscape, and there's some part of you that's like, that this is incredible. I don't know how to hold on to this. You can just look at it. You just experience it. These desires that work within us are a result of us actually missing something that we want fulfilled. C.S. Lewis says in the same essay, he who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. So our desires, if they're rooted in this fulfillment of being with God, if they're rooted with this lack of God in our lives and our, the fulfillment of these desires can be found in God and who he is, that would mean that he is the fulfillment of all of our desires, if the root of all of them come there. If our th- isolation, if loneliness, if our desire for um, just health, well-being, feeling that fullness, that's found in Christ, in God, that's found in heaven, that's, that's the root of all of those things. And again, this is like a, a more stretch of an argument, and this is something that I'm not, I want you to wrestle with and think through. 
I'm not saying accept this immediately if that's a harder idea, but let's look into it. Let's read the Bible. Let's read other things. Let's help understand because I think that it's a really beautiful idea that God is the actual fulfillment of all of our desires and that that can be found in the love of Christ. It unifies this, this what we're missing, what we need, what we want into this place of I can find this in Christ. It's not easy. It's not immediate because it's, we're human. We're here on earth. And there's a reality of which the Bible shows us is not going to be here now. But it's a place to start. We look for being filled with the presence of God. We look for understanding Christ's love for us. It's, are, we, are we tracking? Is this okay? Doing good? Okay, cool, guys. Um, I want to turn over to Acts 2, 1 through 13. Um, I'm going to pull it up on the screen again. Or have it on your phones. I did not mark it in here, so I'm flipping around. So the reason I wanted to kind of talk about that point of desire is that there's two sides to this, this living in the overflow. It's for one, living in a place where we're so filled with the fullness of God that it comes out into our natural actions. But it's also that, that reason why, that reason we want to be filled with the presence of God is not just for this external, like the way we live and act and talk, but it's also for that deep internal place of this is the best place to start for just for knowing who we are, knowing what we're meant to be, knowing who we're supposed to be with. We're supposed to have this communion with God that we're given through um, through Jesus. So this is where we start. But then the being filled as we pursue Christ, as we begin to try and understand his love, uh, I like the results of it here in Acts 2, um, 1 through 13, which is the story of the disciples after Christ has gone up to heaven and they're just kind of hanging out because they're not sure what to do next. So they're sitting in the upper room, they're waiting, and they're waiting, and they're waiting, and they're praying. And it says, now when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all those who, speak, uh, who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear of us in his own native tongue, language? Parthenians and Medes and Alamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Caphylia, Egypt, and all parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in their own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mock, others mocking said they are filled with new wine. Really good wine. <laughs> um, so I like this part of the Bible. I like this story because they got filled with the presence of God, and they started talking to people. I, the language thing is very cool. I, I haven't seen that happen. Um, I totally believe the Holy Spirit can do that. Uh, I'm not telling you guys to go out and start speaking, all of you, in all the languages and talking to people outside. I don't think that's the result of this. I think what the message I want to share here is that they were filled with the presence of God, and they only, the only thing they could do was talk about it. That was the result. They were excited. They were filled. They were full with his presence, and they talked about it. They shared it. They were excited. Have you guys ever seen a really good movie? Like, a really good movie, 
and you're like, if you just saw this movie, you get it. And you want to tell people, and you're like, you need to go see this movie. It's so good. Um, and I've had that experience where I see a movie, and I'm like, I, I'm not describing this well enough. You just have to go see it. You, just, you need to see it. You want that experience, don't you? And you know the other person's like, well, not really. No. You'd, if you saw it, you'd get it. My sister does that with me once a week with a TV show that she's working on. If you just watched it. Um, so they found something so good, they couldn't not help but talk about it. So Jesus is so good that when we are filled with his presence, we're full of the understanding of his love, the natural result is you're going to want to share it with people. But that starts at our recognition of Jesus is what we are looking for. His love is what we need. His love is the best thing we can find. We recognize that. We lean into that. We wrestle with it. We want it. And what naturally happens is we just start telling people about it. Imagine if our approach to living, you know, the Christian life, whatever you want to call that, is a release of expectation over ourselves. We stop expecting it to look a certain way. And instead, it's a response to our just loving Jesus. That's all it is. Our daily actions, our life is just a response to saying, I found something really good. And not only does his love for me mean that much, but his love for this person next to me also means that much. His love for the kid's face I was painting for hours. One kid just really wanted it one way and then wanted it completely redone. And then, oh my gosh, my face burns. Take it all off. Sure, bud. Sure. Why not? Um, But his love for that kid is so good that I could never begin to understand it. That is the most important thing in that little guy's life, is to know how deeply loved and important and valuable he is. That is so, so important and good. And I don't know how to express that without weirding the kid out. I don't know how to feel that enough myself to know how to express that. Like, the reality is, is I'm not living in this place every day. I'm not in a place of understanding God's love so deeply that I'm just, like, telling everyone left and right. Like, that's, I, I don't know. But what's really good about this, what's encouraging about this, is that we have something so good, it could get us there. That's what's so good about this. We have a love that's so pure, so in, like burning, so strong, so all-encompassing on you. You have a love directed towards you that is the biggest, most powerful force in the universe. And you may not get it, you may not be excited about it, but you have it. And the more you grasp it, the more you'll be excited about it, the more that can fill you up, the more that can start to define the way you live and love other people. But you already have it. You don't have to do anything to get it. It's right there. It's your starting point. This is really, really good news. And I love it because I know that at some point I've experienced this because I'm standing here now. Like I I at some point made this commitment that I'm going to live my life for Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to love Jesus. I'm going to try and understand what that means. And I know that. So I I don't feel like I'm necessarily missing anything, but I feel like there's more I can grasp. I feel like there's more I can lean into, more I can do to understand God's love. And I don't know what that is, and that's okay. But you've had some of that too. You're sitting here now. You're here. You got up on a Sunday morning. You decided to be here. Crazy. Maybe you're, you know, part of this little church plant, and it's amazing to have you here, and it's amazing to be part of this family together, and I love it every day. But you are here because you experienced a little bit of that. You experienced that love of Christ. You experienced what actual transformative love is in this, in this just unbeatable, unbreakable force. And that's why you're here. And 
So my encouragement is as Reunion Church, let's just go deeper in this. Let's look for this. Let's pursue this. Let's fight for this. Let's just know more of what God's love is. Because when we live in the overflow, it's, we're so full that everyone around us is going to begin to experience it. One of the coolest things that I was thinking about at the park this week as we were, and I'm going to go ahead and call the band to come forward. As we were at the park last week, one of the things I was thinking was, like, here in this room right now, everything's going to fade away. Literally everything in this room. At some point, these things won't exist. They're going to, I mean, plastic might last forever. I don't know how that works, but (laughs) things are going to go away. Our bodies are going to die. So the closest encounter you have to eternity in this room right now is the literal soul next to you. That person next to you right now is an eternal soul, an eternal being. And the more full you are with the love of Christ, the more they get to experience that as well. Isn't that the best thing we can do for another soul that is also going to last into eternity just like us? Is we get to know Christ more ourselves. That's the best thing you can do for someone else. It is the most loving and kindest thing. Because every day, your actions with the people around you are either encouraging them a little bit more in that direction, staying no, no movement at all, or pulling them away from it. So how do we live in a place where every soul we encounter, every eternal being we encounter every day, we get to a little bit more push them in the right direction, push them towards a true good love, push them towards a reality that could change them forever, a reality that can fill them up with so much love that they also begin to realize that they get to push people in that direction as well. They get to share that love with others. This is so exciting, guys. This is so good. And I love thinking about it this way because I love recognizing the fact that this this all starts in this very simple place of my relationship with Christ, our relationship with Christ. As a church, we just get to fall more and more in love with the God that died for us and that we get to love, we get to know. That's our job. That's our encouragement. And we're going to see amazing things. If we start there, we're going to see amazing things happen in this community. We're going to see amazing things happen in Orange County. We're going to see amazing things happen in our world because as, as we grow and grow and grow there, other people will begin to as well.